0: It's pretty fun when you recognize a graduate and some redneck rings a cowbell in your service. (laughs) Mr. Hammers. I can say that because my mother's a graduate of that fine institution, Mississippi State. You know, the last few weeks at our church have been uh, pretty incredible. We passed the 10,000 Gospel Engagement mark. celebrated that. You may have noticed as we came in, we've passed 11,000. And we finished the first 90 days of our vision for this year and we're able to kind of tick off three out of the four things that we really wanted to see God do during that time period. And we're working on that fourth one. And we told you last week how God had provided land for our church, plant uh, the gathering. If you weren't here and missed that, let me just bring you up to speed. Uh, they've been meeting at Page Middle School in Williamson County. And uh, we just were looking for land. And 27 acres became available and through... Really, a great miracle of the Lord. It was not for sale, but it became for sale to our church. And they're going to be able to get that death free. I said death. It feels like death. (laughs) Debt free because the Lord provided the land for them through some faithful people. And we're just excited about that and blessing the Lord for that. And it's an incredible few weeks for us to see God, God moving in our midst. And You may remember that uh, we talked about in our vision at the beginning of the year that one of the things that we knew we have to address as we go forward is our debt. We've been given an incredible facility at Judson, but we owe about $7 million roughly on our facilities. And one of the things that we're going to do is attack that. And I'm, I'm blessed by the facilities. Don't mind that we have the debt. I just think it's time for us to address it. In fact, one of our former pastors was here doing a funeral with me Friday, and he just said, man, this church just looks great. I love what you guys have done with it, and it's so different. And so as we think about that, we're just excited to announce to you today that God has let us pay down $100,000 on the principal for that already this year. Would you bless the Lord for that? Guys, come on in. We have something for you this morning we want you to have. We want everybody in the service to have a hundred grand bar. All right. Now, as you're getting that, a couple of kind of public service announcements as it relates to our 100 grand bars. First of all, don't eat it now. (laughs) If somebody brings a cowbell to church, somebody else eat a 100 grand bar in church, you never know. Let me also remind you that if you're a diabetic this morning, <laughs> these should be given to someone you love and not consumed yourself. I also don't mind telling you that I wouldn't mind eating 70 of these this year <laughs> because that would mean we were debt free, okay? So that'd be good, be exciting. 100 grand bars. As the guys finish passing those out, we just bless the Lord that we've been able to do it, and we're excited about how He's leading us right now in our church. Every week, something great is happening. Today, we're looking at seven questions about tithing. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Malachi. If you don't have a Bible, you can find the scripture on the screen behind me in just a minute. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8. And as you're turning in your Bibles, I need to set this up for you. If you're visiting with us today, you probably expect me to do the apologizing thing right now that we're sorry that you came on a day when we're talking about money, but nothing could be further from the truth. I'm glad you're here because tithing is a biblical principle, and it's for all of us. It doesn't matter where you go to church. You need to know about tithing. Uh, we talk about giving here all of the time. Uh, Because we feel like it's important on three different occasions every year at least we talk about giving In the spring of the year we do a sermon series on biblical stewardship This is the second week of that We'll be studying the family over the next three weeks and then the book of Joshua after that But in the fall of the year we also talk about giving and stewardship Because that's when we do our global impact celebration where We talk about giving to support God's mission all around the world and then there's at least one other time that we talk about giving regularly, and that's when we take the Lord's Supper. And you know that as we leave in taking the Lord's Supper, we always take a benevolence offering, and we feel like that's important to do to make sure that we're taking care of the needs of those in our congregation who are facing tough times. And I guess I should mention one other time that's now part of the regular uh, part of giving as we talk about it. It's when Pastor Jack teaches our give class. And it's a class that we expect all of you to take. It's part of our C3 strategy of moving you through discipleship. And I guess you might say that uh, one day uh, we'll get to the point where we don't have to talk about giving. And I guess that'll be when we're all dead. Because God's working in our lives in stewardship all the time. That that doesn't change. Uh, As I was studying and getting ready for this message over the last two weeks, God was working in my heart about giving once again. And so there's some elemental things that we need to know and then there's some things that take us to kind of that next level. But what we're not going to do is dance around it. There's seven questions that I think are important to us and I want you to know as we answer these questions that I'm practicing what I preach. Your pastors are practicing what they preach. The deacons are practicing what they preach because you can't serve in any of those roles unless you believe and practice biblical stewardship as outlined in Malachi chapter 3. So let's look at this, Malachi 3 verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the the Lord of hosts. To understand this passage of scripture, it helps us to understand the style of the book. The entire book is built upon this. The Lord, through the prophet Malachi, not Malachi, Malachi, levels a charge against the people. And as he does that, the people respond kind of with like a, what are you talking about, us? Who could you possibly be talking about? And then he provides evidence to back up the charge. And every time this charge is leveled, these people respond in disbelief, kind of like, who me? And that's exactly what happens here. God uses a very strong word to describe the offense that's taken place. He says, the nation are thieves, robbers. I want you to think about that. Thieves, robbers. Those are fighting words where I'm from, right? Somebody calls you a thief or a robber. It's fighting words. And it didn't sit well with the people of the day. But the word the prophet used for rob or thieving is defined as stealing by force or deception. There was no doubt about what he was talking about. And this didn't sit well with the people. And they answer incredulously by asking, how, well, what could we have stolen from you? We didn't take anything. You can almost hear them say, yeah, right. And the answer came back, you stole from me in the tithes. And offerings. To understand what we're talking about, we need to define some terms. First term is tithe. The tithe simply means ten percent. That's all it means. Ten percent. It's ten percent of the increase of your life. So if you were in agriculture, it's ten percent of your crop. If you were in something where you're selling those crops, or you have a job today that uh, that is non-agrarian, then it would be the ten percent of the increase that you get from your job. That's different than an offering. An offering is something that's given above the tithe. In fact, the Israelites were commanded to give offerings at special times of the year, throughout their year, and that differed from the tithes. They were not allowed to count their tithes as offering or their offering as tithes. The tithe, the 10%, was given to support the work of God in God's house, and it was given to support the priest who ministered before the Lord. So I want to answer for you seven common questions this morning from this passage of Scripture That have to do with tithing. Number one, isn't tithing just an Old Testament law that doesn't apply anymore? It's Old Testament. Is that where it is? Do we have to do it anymore? Many people explain away the fact that they don't tithe because it's contained in the Old Testament. But we actually see that tithing predates the Old Testament law. So what people will say is, well, I'm under grace. I give by grace. We're under grace in the New Testament. We're not under law. Jesus said, we're under grace. Not under law. So I don't do that. But tithing predates the law. The first instance that we really see tithing come out in the Old Testament is in the book of Genesis with a man named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, Abraham has just had a harrowing experience where his nephew, a man named Lot, has been taken captive and led off, and Abraham goes to rescue him. He's successful, and when he comes back, look at what happens. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered all of your enemies into your hand. And it says, He, Abram, gave him a tenth of all. Abraham tithed on what he had received from the Lord. When God allowed him to get his nephew back, he'd captured a ton of goods and other things, and he became rich through this process. And what he did was tithe on the increase of what he had taken. This is hundreds of years before Moses receives the law from the Lord. But we also see it in the Proverbs when King Solomon wrote to his son and said, it's really important that you understand how God's economy works. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, we see this. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruit of all of your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new It's funny that chapter 3 contains one of the most popular quoted scripture verses in all of the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We love that one. Why didn't anybody ever quote this one? It's right after it. Trusting the Lord in all of your ways. Solomon was saying this is important for your life to understand that as God blesses you, you're to honor the Lord with the first fruits of your labor. You give God the first fruits, and then you live on what comes after that. But tithing isn't just an Old Testament principle. Jesus also mentioned it as he spoke to the religious leaders of his day in the book of Matthew, chapter 23 and verse 23, where he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others.'" Basically, these guys were tithing out of their gardens, spices. They were that meticulous about how they tithed. And Jesus says, that's great, but you've neglected some other things here, and you don't neglect one and do the other. And that's really important for us to understand. It's true that we don't follow the ceremonial law for worship anymore. We don't sacrifice animals and burn incense in our worship service. And we don't follow all the laws of the nation of Israel, for we're not a theocracy led by God. We're a democracy Government by the people, for the people. However, we still observe the moral law of God in terms of our worship and our lifestyles. So when someone says, I'm not under the law, what about murder? Adultery, lying, stealing. It's all part of it. We have this responsibility to live before the Lord. And Jesus taught us that because he took the law and he heightened it. He didn't say, don't just, don't commit adultery. He said, you know what? When you lust, it's wrong. He didn't stop with just don't murder. He said, when you hate your brother, it's wrong. He heightened it at every turn. Second question. Okay, so if I'm going to tithe, should I tithe on my gross or my net? It's a great question, easily answered. Gross pay. The taxes taken out of your check and Social Security and Medicare are actually a benefit whether you believe it or not given to you by the government. And so that's deducted as income from your life. And so you tithe on the gross, the first 10% of all that you earn. If you own a business or are a self-employed person, deduct the expenses that you had, tithe on the profit of what was left over. That's the increase you came to. If you earn $100, you're required to tithe 10. I was recently reminded of something that had come to me to better my position because I had a birthday. Sometimes birthdays aren't good but this one happened to be pretty good. I got a little cash, got a couple of gifts, and uh, my daughter asked me about that recently. She said, Dad, you going to tithe on what you got? And I thought, this is one time I wish I had never talked to you about tithing. (laughs) (laughs) But I thanked her for the reminder because I hadn't thought about it. And I went and got it and gave that to the Lord. Third question, can I give a tithe to a charity or another Christian organization? Is that okay if I direct where my tithe goes? Look at Malachi 3.10 again. It gives us a clear explanation for this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. The tithe goes to the local church you attend. If you don't attend this church, uh, please hear me very clearly. I don't have my hand out to you this morning. Uh, Your church is where your tithe belongs. It goes into the local storehouse. If you don't attend a church, find one. There's no place for a believer not to be in church. Find a church. But you can't tithe to Goodwill or the United Way. You can't tithe to a college or to a person or to a ministry. Any attempt to do that gets to the issue of obedience again, and here's why. So many times we love what God has said, and we almost want to do it. We almost want to follow his plan for marriage. Almost. With some caveats. We almost want to follow his plan for Sabbath rest. Almost, but not right, all the way. You know, because God didn't surely know what he was doing. If I need to do something, I just go do it. Who who needs to rest? We do the same thing with our money, except that we love to control it, which gets back to the heart of the matter for us. If you're in control, you still think it's yours to direct, but the tithe doesn't belong to you. That's why the term robber and thief was used of the people. They'd stolen what was actually God's. And when you keep the tithe or appropriate it for something else or decide to hold it back, you're robbing God of something that he requires of you. Question four, what does the tithe do? Well, the tithe takes care of God's house and those who serve the people in God's house. It's always been this way. In the Old Testament, the Levites were the recipients of the tithes because they were chosen by God to lead the nation in worship. Of the 12 tribes of Israel that entered into the promised land, they're the only tribe that didn't receive an inheritance. They were set apart for the Lord. Everybody else got an inheritance of where they were supposed to live, land that was appropriated to them. They didn't get that. What they got was the tithes and the offerings of the people. And that helped them in the administration of the worship services at the tabernacle, later the temple. And it's the same today. The tithe goes to take care of all of the ministries of the church. It provides for the buildings and grounds. takes care of the pastors so that they can serve you. And I'm certainly glad to be at a church that takes care of its pastors. Thank you for modeling that for the community and for us. You're following the command of Scripture to honor those who serve you. Question five. What if I can't afford to tithe? It's a great question that's often answered by saying you actually cannot afford not to tithe. You see, I think many of us look at this passage and we see the passage as the blessing is really good, but everything else is neutral, and that's certainly a mistake because God says if you tithe, you're actually blessed, but if you don't, you are cursed. Not my words, God. Cursed with a curse. Look at verse 10 again. As it says, Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, it says, See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither will your uh, vine cast uh, in the field, cast its grapes. God says about this, trust me and test me. It's the only time in the scripture you're ever told to test the Lord. Test him. Try him and see if he's as good as his word. He's saying, see if I won't bless you. I'll give you blessings until they overflow. But it's not only that, God promises to rebuke the devourer in our lives. In agriculture, that's pestilence. In modern times, it's things like ethanol in your gasoline that corrode your engines. It's hailstorms that roll through the city and damage the roof on your house. It's all kinds of things that happen. And what he says is, I'll rebuke those things and provide for you. Medical bills that pile up, all those kinds of things. He's saying he will provide for your needs and bless you. Or you'll find adversity at every turn. Being cursed. With a curse. But I want you to know the, the results of this blessing, it's not just monetarily. When you learn to trust the Lord with the first fruits of all that He's given you, you start to have peace of mind over all the little things that are going on in your life. When you trust God to provide for your needs, this peace of mind invades everything. And I wonder how many people live in a constant state of fear and worry, not only about money, but about everything, because they've never obeyed God in tithing and found him to be faithful to do what he says he could do. Not that he's not faithful, but they never tried. They never tested him. So it's no wonder that they're fearful about everything. They're fearful about their parenting. They're fearful about where their kids are going to go to school and how God will provide for it, because they've never trusted God to provide anything in their lives they're fearful about the future fearful about retirement fearful about the nation fearful about politics just fill in the blank but when you trust God with your finances it's amazing how you rest at peace and that overflow lands in your life it's funny you may notice that often when I lead us in prayer to our offering I always thank God for sustaining us and declare that we're going to live in faith the next week. that's what the tithe does. We trust him. Question six. Where do I start? With 10%. You don't get anywhere trying to make headway with the Lord by obeying him halfway. Well, I've never tithed. Let me start with 1% and see how it goes. It didn't say, hey, get on a plan and go one, two, three, and see if I finally will bless you. It just doesn't work that way. 10%. Don't try to obey the Lord halfway. If you've never tithed before, you don't need to go back to the past and try to make things up. That would be a daunting thought, wouldn't it? But you start today in repentance. If you've never heard about it before, that's okay. Start today. Trust that God is able to take care of you. I believe that what God says is true. I'm living proof of it. That the 90% you live on is better than the 100% you think you need. Because God supplies our needs. If you have to supply your needs, you will, and then some. But when you trust God to supply your needs, it's amazing how it works. The tithe check is the first check that we write every month. It's not given at the end of the month after everything else has worked out and see what's left over. Can't work that way. That's not first fruits and it isn't faith. You return to the Lord, what is his, it's owed to him. And I want to issue a challenge to our church this morning. For any of you who are on the fence about this, who this is a big faith step for you, I just issue this challenge to you. Either what God's word says is true or it isn't. Try it. Try it. Try it for three months. As you do that, it will cause you to do a couple of things. One is you'll examine your budget, and some of us need to be on a budget because we have no idea what our money is doing. Pastor Jack quoted someone recently who said, money talks and all it ever says is goodbye. (laughs) And that's true. Goodbye. But I make this challenge to you, try it. And if God doesn't do what his word says it will do, come see me. And we'll find a way to take care of whatever you need taken care of. But I've issued that challenge before. In fact, I issued it in the first church that I ever pastored. And a salty old character friend of mine came by the office one day and said, Do you remember when you said that God would take care of my needs if I tithed? Yes. Do you remember that you said I could come talk to you if he didn't? Yes, I'm here to talk to you. This should be interesting. He said, Today was the last day of the month for me, and I had tithed, Pastor, and I had done what you said. I had worked on my budget, and I had seen that God could provide, I thought, but I got to today, and I was $100 short. I'm $100 short. And This guy came by where I work and asked me if he could park a truck in our parking lot because he needed to sell it. And he said to me, do you care if I do this? If you'll let me do this, I need to get $500 out of the sale of this truck. And anything you get over top of that, you can just have and whatever you need it for. Sure. He said he got about his work business and a man came and knocked on the door and said, hey, do you know whose truck that is for sale? He said, I do. He said, Pastor, in short order, that man bought the truck and it supplied all the needs that I had today. I never would have believed that God would do what he said he would do, but he did. I sold it for a couple hundred bucks over that and made my bills. God is faithful. He's faithful to do what he says he will do. And that leads us to the last question then. So why does God ask you, by way of command, to give money? That's funny, isn't it? Why does he do that? Well, first of all, it's not because he needs anything from you. And if you think you're really helping God today by giving, you need to take a step back and really examine what you think God needs you to do. What could God possibly need your money for? He spoke the world into existence, He created it out of nothing. There were no dollar bills when He created the world. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is wealthy beyond all measure. Jesus inheritance is the nations. What does he need your money for? He doesn't need your money. The scripture says in the Psalms that God opens his hand and satisfies the desire of all living things from his own hand. So why would he need you or me to give him anything what well, has to do with your faith? We are constantly fighting self-reliance. Name another thing in your life that consistently fights for your affection and your attention like money. God uses this to build our faith. It's tangible and it keeps us from valuing things and stuff more than we should because things and stuff are all going to burn. They're going to pass away. All the things that you want to collect will burn. Your home will be someone else's one day. Your car will be destroyed one day. All of the earthly possessions that you think you could buy, they don't last. So God says to us, understand your attention and affection don't belong on things that are passing away. And So he says, tithe. I need to tell you, that's the goal that is the standard. That's not the stopping point. Because you remember that this passage of Scripture said offerings as well. I'd only been on staff at this church for a few months When we had a crown financial seminar and Jack Wilkerson, one of our laymen, got up and gave a testimony about giving in his life. He talked about how he and his wife Brenda had been tithers for many years. And yet the Lord was calling them to give more and more of their income away. And they just started doing it. And they just started upping the percentage every year. i got to be honest with you, that was a new thing for me. I'd been a tither for a long time. Kathy and I had been tithing since we started our family. We came from families Uh, that had taught us about tithing. Her parents are here with us this morning. They were faithful to do that in their lives. They taught their children well in that way. So did my parents. But I never understood the idea that there would be more to that. I mean, 10%, good. That's enough, right? That's where it goes. But as he began to talk about that, I began to understand through his testimony that God was putting us on a pathway that 10% wasn't going to be enough. This year, Kathy and I sat down and we discussed the percentage of our income that we wanted to give away. And we do that every year, and then like we do every year, we kind of set it up and we forget about it. Don't think about it anymore. We just let it be what it's going to be. That's the way you should do it, by the way. You start thinking about this stuff, and it'll drive you a little batty. But it was funny. At the end of this year, as we were getting ready to do our taxes, I couldn't find my giving statement from the church to be able to send to our accountant. Somehow I had misplaced it, and so I had to get another one. And when I got it, I looked at it. I normally don't look at it, but I happened to look at it, and I realized that we had exceeded the percentage that we had set down that we were going to give. And it kind of came at an interesting week for us because it was a week where uh, we had discovered that we were going to become friends with an orthodontist. (laughs) Right? It's great when the orthodontist giggles when your kids walk in the room, you know. They got it honestly. Their dad had to have braces twice himself. So, you know, it's just part of it, right? But it was funny because as I looked at that giving statement, I began to understand that the amount that we had given over was basically would have covered the orthodontic work that we need to get done, right? Over what we had intended. And I thought, well, Lord, we're tithing, we're giving offerings. Maybe we should just, uh, this year, scale that back. And think about paying the orthodontist. I understand he doesn't accept chickens anymore. So I'm just going to pray about that and sit on it for a while. Two days later, my accountant called me. I have a love-hate relationship with my accountant. When it's tax season and he says that I don't owe anything, I love him. And that never happens. And when he tells me that I owe the government money, I hate him. You know, as if it's somehow his fault. But he said, I need to talk to you about your taxes. I thought I was going to throw up right there. You know? That's never, like, that's just never a good thing. Hey, we need to have a talk. (laughs) And he said, You've got a refund coming back from the government this year. And I was like, Well, that is a surprise. He's been doing my taxes for 18 years, and we run the line on it. I don't want the government having all my money and then give it back to me at the end of the year. I don't want to loan them money. You know? You see what they're doing with the money you loan them? National debt. (laughs) Yeah. So I can count on one hand the amount of times I've gotten a refund from the government. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? The refund covered the overage, and here's what he said. You got this refund back because you'd given so much, so I don't know what you're going to use it for. I said, I do. <laughs> you literally cannot outgive God. It won't work. How could you give someone who owns the cattle on a thousand hills more than what he has? How could you give someone who's given you life more than what he has? How could you give someone who paid the debt you could never pay by sending his son to die in your place? It doesn't work. You can't do it. But it's sure fun to try. Because when you do it, you begin to see that God uses those things as a faith test in your life. Some of us this morning need to take the step. And it's time for us to think about taking a next step in faith. And it's time to try the Lord in what he says. And it's time to really put our money where our mouth is. See, it's really easy to say you trust God. Prove it. Some of us need to think about the fact that God has set us up to be generous beyond the tithe now. You've never thought about it before, just like I had never thought about it before. And I thank God for that day that Jack gave that testimony about he and Brenda's life because it literally changed mine and my family's life. It's a faith journey. And as you realize what really matters, you begin to see that there are certain things that we're going to take with us. You have an opportunity to look around the room this morning and see people who we hope to take with us. One day in heaven we'll be reunited with them. And I would say this morning that if you've never given your life to Christ, this may sound very, very strange. But it's not a pyramid scheme. It's not a uh, get-rich-quick scheme. It's not if you give God $5, he'll give you $5,000. Don't hear me say that. He says he'll bless you and it will overflow. You'll have what you need. And you'll know that it came from him. But you'll have peace because you'll be living under blessing, not a curse. If you've never given your life to Christ, let today be the day. Understand that Jesus Christ died in your place paying the ultimate debt. One that wasn't his because he lived a perfect life. But he died in your place, in my place, Not because we had figured it out, but because God had a plan from before the foundation of the world to make right what had been made wrong by our sin in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of response, some of us, Lord, know that we're not in right standing with you because we've been withholding something that's yours. Father, I pray for that person who's fighting that battle right now. Lord, I pray that they would try you in this because I know that you're going to be found faithful. Father, for the believer who's taken that first big step of tithing and they know that it's time now to work on generosity. God, we love to give. Because we see your hand in all that we do. And I pray for them that you would give them, in their heart and their soul right now, just a real sense of where you're leading them on the giving journey. That they would know. Father, we recognize this morning that we have the resources in this room that you have given us to make a huge difference in this world. And that we can share the gospel here and around the world because of what you've allowed us to have. We're stewards of it, Lord, and we open our hands to give it back to you. For the person who's never given their life to you, Father, we pray that in this moment salvation would come. We ask that in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.